Hello everyone. The reading this evening is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 12 to 24. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 starting at verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And may we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Good evening. Thank you for that uh, great reading. That's very relevant today for Easter Sunday. I've called this talk the warnings, loving warnings. And sometimes this is what the church needs. In Australia, there's a, a preacher who'd uh, been talking about the problems of sin and he'd been quite forthright. But after the service, one of the leaders of the church went into his office and had words with him. He says, we don't want you to talk so openly about man's guilt and corruption because our boys and girls will be affected by this and they'll much more easily fall for it. The minister took down an illustration that he had on his shelf. It was a bottle of strychnine. And the minister said, you see this bottle? It's uh, got poison written in red all over it. Now, suppose uh, that that was changed into essence of peppermint or something like that. What would be the effect of changing the warning? Isn't it that people would be more likely to think, oh, this doesn't matter? The more dangerous a subject, the clearer the message has got to be. Now, this is what Paul does in this reading today. The Bible repeatedly warns Christians to be on their guard because Satan is out to get us. He'll do all he can to lie and deceive and to take our eyes off the Lord Jesus. That's what God wants us to do, to live for him in the world we've got today, to live for him in the flesh, but not of the flesh. The Lord Jesus and his apostles were very clear that man's greatest problem is our sin, our tendency always to move away from doing and behaving what God wants. And the only solution 
to our sin is the Lord Jesus. He died on the cross for us and he gives us his spirit so that we can live as he wants us to. Now, when Paul wrote to the very troubled church at Corinth, uh, he noticed how some of the leaders were moving away from this message. Uh, just as some TV evangelists do today. Uh, he starts quite early on. Jews demand signs, miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. When Paul wrote to the Galatians, right at the beginning of the letter again, he warns them about being seduced away from following the historic Jesus. This is what he writes. I'm astonished that you so quickly as a deserting the one who called you in by the grace of God and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ and so on. You see, there's always been this tendency for church members to lose their ability to discern what is really of Christ, what matters to Christ. In, in 1 Thessalonians that we're looking at here, Paul makes it clear what components will be seen in the worship of people and of churches that are godly. He's saying to Christians, now this is what you should be. Now, if you can, look at uh, 5, chapter 5, verses uh, 12 to 15. You see there, it's full of warnings. We need these warnings today very, very much, just as they did then. Look how it starts, verse 12 and 13. Respect for leaders. <laughs> we all know now that school children are, are, are very... Uh, prone not to respect their teachers or their parents. It's a mark of drifting away from Christ when such respect for those people who work hard in our churches for our benefit are spurned. And when they teach from the Bible, what is said is rejected. Look at verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold to them, hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. See, this should be part of our life, part of Christian conduct. We must support each other in our ministry for Christ. Uh, some of you know I've been teaching uh, every week on a mission for China using their equivalent of Zoom. And last week, one of the leaders said appreciatively, in China, we respect our teachers. How we need to relearn how to live in peace with one another. They notice who this is spoken to. It's not spoken to the leaders. This is every Christian, brothers and sisters. 
Tensions will always be present in churches. But for Christ's sake, we've got to use godly discernment to decide what is right, what he will approve of. So, acknowledging those who work hard. Secondly, we work hard. We encourage, verse 14. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. <laughs> Again, some people say, well, would it be great if our church leaders were like this? I'm not talking about Christchurch, this is in general. But again, this is to brothers and sisters. This is to all of us. It isn't addressed just to leaders. Look at verse 12. We ask you, brothers and sisters. This is addressed to the whole church. Doesn't godly discernment tell us that this is right? We must all be hard workers for Christ, for his church. And it's a fair question to ask, what are we doing? What am I doing for his church? Have you heard of Catherine Booth? She was the wife of General Booth who started the Salvation Army. He was, she was speaking in a, a church meeting and she said this, is this all you do for Christ? You go to church? Well, brothers and sisters, when Christ looks at our lives, what does he see? Does he see people who are passionate about living for Christ? When we meet him on that judgment day and he sees what we've done with, with our lives and what we've done with him, I wonder what he'll say. See, we're a family, we're a team, and we all need so much encouragement to keep going, to go hard. Look at verse 15. Always strive to do what's good for each other. Wow, that's the church people. And for everyone else. I assume that's the outsiders then, so that they can be saved. Are we doing this? Well, moving on, the next warning is make sure you're joyful, you're prayerful. Look at 16 and 17. Rejoice always, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Last week we looked at Psalm 126. And do you remember how joy was a recurring theme throughout the the psalm. It's a feature of those people, God's people, who are living closely with him. I don't know if you noticed how it is that those who are really grateful for, to God have a, a ready smile on their face. They are grateful. Do you remember the, the fruit of the Spirit? Do you remember how it goes? Love, joy, peace. This is what people see. Joy is a feature of those who are grateful to the Lord Jesus. They're giving thanks for everything. This is why when we pray, we should always start with remembering the good things the Lord's given us. I love being with 
Alan Maynard, because he had this wonderful characteristic of being grateful for everything when he started. And how infectious his, his joy was, even when he was dying. Doesn't godly discernment tell us that this is right? That these features are associated with those who are living closely with the Lord Jesus? But we've got to be discerning. That's my next point. Well, it's the point here. He introduces two warnings, probably because he saw these problems occurring in the young church at Thessalonica. Don't quench the spirit. See in 19? Beware of being so conservative that new ideas are frowned on. You know, we've always done it this way. That's not a recipe for a happy future. But it could also imply that these people weren't praying as they should. They were uh, neglecting the means of grace that God had given them. They weren't making the church a priority. They weren't ensuring that they and their family really get to know the Bible well. They're not encouraging, making their home groups a priority, not just for ourselves, but for the other people. Do not quench the spirit. Surely that's what it means. Don't treat prophecies, the declaration of what God has to say, with contempt, but test them. You see, it's this testing that's so important uh, in our church today. Have you uh, heard some of the stories that are going on uh, around the place at the moment? This week I've shown the video of a very well-known television healer. In one of his performances, a coffin was brought into this large auditorium packed uh, with people. And the healer went up to this so-called corpse, laid hands on him, and he sat up and looked surprised. And the arena was packed with credulous people who were praising God for what they'd seen. The only problem is that when they investigated this, the whole thing was a fraud. Uh, the coffin had been bought on, on a lie. Uh, someone else had borrowed a hearse. The same healer claimed to have healed lots of paralysed people uh, who were in wheelchairs and they stood up. But actually one of his team subsequently said, actually, that was a stunt. It was all made up. I don't know if you heard of Peter Popoff. Uh, he was another healing evangelist who claimed to know where people lived and know a lot about them. And people were mesmerised by this gift. But his lie was exposed by a magician called uh, James Ran uh, Randy. He realised that uh, Popoff's remarkable knowledge was due to a little hearing aid he had. And his wife was at the back collecting details from people and sending messages across. And then he pretended that this was a knowledge of God. Thousands followed Popov. Now, 
In the Bible, the church is repeatedly warned not to abandon godly discernment. Paul says that he refused to use techniques to con the gullible. 2 Corinthians 4. We've renounced she, uh, secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. Godly discernment is desperately needed in our church. Look at 21 here. But test them, these, uh, the spirits. Test them. Holding on to what is good. Now, so we've got to ask, is this genuine? Is this of God? Our God has never changed. He's the omnipotent God who created this universe. We must never say that God isn't able to do anything. But let's be honest and say what God is doing. And what Paul here is saying is, compare it with Jesus. Is this teaching me more about the historical Jesus? Is it making me determined to become more like him? This is the recurrent warning of scripture. You know, John, in, in 1 John 4, he, he writes, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into this world. It wasn't just now, it's then. And John goes on and says, is there focus for the historic Jesus? Is there teaching all about him, what he did? Or is it more about the power and the character of the, of the preacher? We've got to use godly discernment. You know, a little later in 1 John 4, 5. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them, and sure, they do, because they're promised health and wealth. Yet John says in contrast, as an apostle of Christ, we are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. This is why in Christchurch, why we insist on teaching the Bible, the apostolic word, so how do you test new ideas that we're told to hear? By scripture, backed by common sense. Oh dear, the Thessalonian church, as many churches today, are at great risk. Emotionalism, excitement can trump scripture. And we're told, test the spirits. In Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, uh, he wrote it because the, what the apostles taught about the second coming of Christ was being overlooked. They thought that his return was imminent, and so why, why bother to work? And God's going to convert people anyway, so why witness? They were becoming ineffective, lazy Christians. And he writes to Thessalonians to warn them. In it, he says in 3 verse 1, Pray for us 
brothers and sisters, that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly. Look at 3 verse 6. Keep away from every believer who's idle and disruptive. There's a very worrying uh, survey by the Barna organization that showed that only a minuscule, there's only a, a very small gap between the way Christians lived and others lived. They looked at how people uh, lived morally, how people were, lived at work, how they lived at home, whether they got angry, social events, and found so little difference. You see, Christians, we're so much like the world. The lines have been blurred. And this happens whenever the word of God stops being central in our churches. Liberal theology grows, emotional religion grows, chasing supernatural events grows, but godliness, Christ-likeness, becomes rarer. I remember soon after we moved to this area, the, the vicar of the church we were at was preaching against uh, the, an emphasis on Bible doctrine. Uh, we just started a, a, a Bible study group that grew quite quickly. It's about 60 people who used to come each week. Uh, and I think this caused some friction because there's some people in the church didn't like it. And the vicar said, doctrine is divisive. Of course it is. It always has been. But we're told to stand firm and teach God's truth. The sheep will go one way and the goats will go another. And it's their response to God's word that makes the difference. Do you remember uh, when Paul was writing to Timothy shortly before he was executed, he gave him this charge. Preach the word, be urgent, in season, out of season, for the time will come when people will take uh, will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. The test is godliness, is Christ-likeness. So, Paul goes on to Timothy, keep your head, think clearly, be discerning. Test the spirits by comparing with what you hear and what you see with the Lord Jesus. Did he get very rich by preaching the word? Did the apostles? Back, back to 1 Thessalonians 2.21. Hold fast. The Greek word has got a great intensity really stand firm to the word of God, to his teaching. 22, reject every kind of evil. When you're tempted, don't succumb to it. Look at 23. Christians, be holy, be like the Lord Jesus. Be joyful, be at peace. May God himself be our model. May our whole being 
become blameless, as we look forward to meeting with the Lord Jesus when he comes back. What a great prayer this is for us to finish with. Shall we pray this? May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Lord, thank you that as we stay close to you, you'll make us into the sort of men and women you want us to be. Thank you for the gift of your spirit. Amen. Amen.